borderline personality disorder. What does that bring up for you? Borderline personality disorder. The word borderline. I'd like to lead in with some quotes from those who have struggled with borderline dynamics. These are direct quotes. The first set is from an article called Borderline Personality Disorder by mind.org.uk. My experience is that I have to keep my emotions inside because I get told I'm overreacting. So I end up feeling like I'm trapped inside my body, screaming, while no one can hear me. My borderline personality disorder affects every part of my life. Relationships, identity, career choices, moods. I changed my name twice by deed poll. It's a terrible, painful feeling not knowing who you are. A real struggle some days to battle everything. It's like there's something missing inside me, and no one understands when I try to explain how I feel. Borderline personality disorder can be exhausting. My mind is a constant roller coaster of emotions. When the emotions are happy and exhilarating, it's the best feeling in the world. The following 10 quotes are from Christian Moltu and colleagues from their journal article, How People Diagnosed with Borderline Personality Disorder Experience Relationships to Oneself and to Others, a Qualitative In-Depth Study. I can wake up feeling depressed and then three days goes by and I'm high up. I have no middle. Either I'm down or I'm up. Either I'm happy and blue-eyed and the world is really nice and everything is just yes or it's death, destruction, war, kill me. I'm like that. I did not have any words to describe my feelings. My head and body did not connect. I felt separated. My head was just chaos. I did not know how to put things into words. I didn't know. I knew anger, though, if I felt angry. The pain I feel inside can be so intolerable to bear that my initial reaction is to harm myself. I'm thinking that when it gets too scary, there are two options for me. One is to get really ill with my eating disorder again, that life just, you you almost die, or I could kill myself. If life gets too scary, then those two options are something I know that I'll have, almost comforting. I would still feel insecure a lot. I still do. I need confirmation several times a day to confirm that I do things right, because I will judge myself a lot. I have this perfectionist in me. If it's not perfect, then it's not good. When I am really high up, I can feel invincible. No one can defeat me. What I did was fantastic, you know. But when I come down from that high, this thought is suddenly there. How could you think that way about yourself? Then I feel the urge to punish myself for being positive. I don't deserve anything good in this life. I deserve the mud on the bottom of the sea. I am the mud. I am mud. That's how I have felt about myself for years. I don't deserve any joy. I don't deserve anything good. I deserve all the bad things happening to me. I struggle a lot with the fact that I I lose myself when I'm alone. Life can become hopeless and I can't seem to do anything. Even if I would like to draw or something, I rarely manage to do anything when I'm home. 
It's just about passing the time until it's time to go to bed. It might be what this personality disorder entails because all I wanted was that someone would take me home with them, you know, take me home and take care of me. That's what I wanted and still want, but that's not good or what I want does not go together with what is actually good for me. My challenge is that I become so wrapped up in other people. I'm very lonely and can grab onto people, you know, I'm very lonely. I feel very lonely. I just want to be with other people, so I become too much. So then it's a big thing when people reject me, you know. And these quotes are from Kelly Joe Hawley's article, Borderline Personality Disorder Quotes. You know you're borderline when you fluctuate between fearing abandonment and encouraging it. I despise my own hypersensitiveness, which requires so much reassurance. It's certainly abnormal to crave so much to be loved and understood. One second I'm perfectly fine, and the next it's like a volcano erupts inside me, leaving me miserable. Having borderline feels like eternal hell never knowing how I am going to feel from one minute to the next, hurting because I hurt those I love. I don't know what living a balanced life feels like. When I'm sad, I don't cry, I pour. When I'm happy, I don't smile, I glow. When I'm angry, I don't yell, I burn. The good thing about feeling in extremes is that when I love, I give them wings. Perhaps... That isn't such a good thing, because they always tend to leave, and you should see me when my heart is broken. I don't grieve. I shatter. My skin is so thin that the innocent words of others burns holes right through me. Living with BPD is pure confusion. It's always like, am I allowed to be upset about this thing, or am I being oversensitive? It's as if my life were magically run by two electric currents, joyous positive and despairing negative. Whichever is running at the moment dominates my life, floods it. I couldn't trust my own emotions. Which emotional reactions were justified, if any, and which ones were tainted by the mental illness of BPD? I found myself fiercely guarding and limiting my emotional reactions, chastising myself for possible distortions and motivations. I keep so much pain inside myself, I grasp my anger and loneliness and hold it in my chest. It has changed me into something I was never meant to be. It has transformed me into a person I do not recognize. But I don't know how to let it go. I am Dr. Peter Melanowski, clinical psychologist, trauma therapist, podcaster, blogger, co-founder and president of Souls and Hearts. I'm your host and guide in this Interior Integration for Catholics podcast. It is an honor. It is a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for listening in. And my goal for you is that you be able to more completely taste and see the height and depth and breadth and warmth and the light of the love of God, especially God the Father and Mary our mother, our spiritual parents, our primary parents. I am here to help you embrace your identity 
as a beloved little son or daughter of God. That's what this podcast is all about. That is what Souls and Hearts is all about. And to bring that about, to live out this mission, I bring you new ways of understanding yourself, new ways of understanding people. And as we continue our series on personality throughout the remaining months of 2023 and throughout 2024, we are starting a new series, a series on borderline personalities. This is episode 125 of the Interior Integration for Catholics podcast. It's titled Borderline Personality According to the Conventional Secular Experts. This will be released on November 6th, 2023. And in this episode, I'm going to bring you the best of the conventional understandings of borderline personalities, borderline dynamics. We are going to explore the what of borderline, the who of borderline, the why of borderline, and the how of borderline. We're going to be looking at all those different dynamics in this episode today. This will be the first of a four-episode series on this topic, and let's get right into it. Let's start by exploring what is borderline? What are borderline dynamics? And one of our RCC members, she framed the question this way. Hi, Dr. Peter. I have a question about borderline. When I was younger, someone in my family was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And when the adults shared the results with us, they said, you know, borderline, there's a borderline. And It sounded like not really a sure diagnosis, but just somewhere on a scale of a personality disorder. What is it with the name of this condition and why is it so nebulous? Thank you. Why is it, why is it so nebulous? That's a really good question. Now I'm going to invite you to go back to episode 116 which is called Why a Single Personality Isn't Enough. In that episode, I really argue against this whole idea of personality disorders and single, unified, homogenous personalities. I'm going to give you this quote from Linnea Butler, who said, Borderline personality disorder has been called a trash can diagnosis, meaning that it was originally a catch-all for problems that didn't fit well within other diagnoses. It has long been pathologized by the mental health community as something inherent to a person's personality and therefore untreatable. This is not accurate and is harmful to people given that diagnosis and to the people who love them. I want to get into the history a little bit about how the whole diagnosis of borderline personality disorder came to be. First of all, I'm going to say it didn't exist before 1980. Before 1980, borderline personality disorder, you won't find it in any of the statistical manuals and any of the standard nomenclatures for diagnosis. It was in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the third edition that you saw it for the first time. Originally, going all the way back decades and decades, Borderline was not a personality style. 
It wasn't a personality style. Actually, it was a zone. It was a region. It was the space between being neurotic and being psychotic. Those that have looked at the history of personality assessment or personality diagnosis will know that Freud categorized people as being neurotic or being psychotic. But what happened was that there began to be this growing awareness that there was this zone, there was a wide space between the developmental level of neurosis and the developmental level of psychosis. Grant Hillary Brenner in the March 5th, 2023 Psychology Today article, There May Be Three Types of Borderline Personality Disorder, said, quote, The term borderline relating to personality has its origins in psychoanalysis, not as a diagnosis per se, but as a description of personality organization in the borderlands between higher functioning neurosis and more profound psychosis. Borderline personality disorder was not included as a diagnosis in the original psychodynamic diagnostic manual in 2006. Instead, the PDM, the original version, continued the traditional understanding of borderline as exactly what it says, the borderline, the border zone. Let me flesh this out a little bit. According to the second edition of the Psychodynamic Diagnostic Manual, there are four levels of personality organization. Four levels of personality organization. These are on a developmental continuum. This is how personality develops or where you might look at personality as a whole being arrested. Right? So there's the healthy personality where there's good functioning in all or at least most domains. They're satisfying relationships. People are in touch with their feelings. They're self-aware. They're flexible and adaptive in their coping, even when there's a lot of stress, even when there's internal conflicts. They're, they're able to maintain this coherent sense of identity of who I am over time. People are able to express impulses appropriately in this healthy level of personality organization. They behave in ways that are congruent with their internalized code of conduct, their moral compass. They're not suffering undue distress and they're not imposing undue distress on anybody else. And they have a flavor, if you will, of personality, but there's flexibility. There's alternate ways to cope. There's not rigidity. There's not chaos. That's a healthy level of personality organization. But if we take it down to the neurotic level of personality organization, here we start to see internal psychological rigidity that's present, it's noticeable. There's a restricted range of coping strategies. The pattern of suffering is usually restricted to a single area of focus, maybe two. And outside of that difficulty, the person is doing fairly well. There's a good work history. There's good relationships with others good behavioral regulation, and the person who's in that neurotic range is managing impulsivity fairly well. They can handle unpleasant emotion. So it's not as fully healthy, not as fully mature as a person at the healthy range of personality organization, but it is still doing relatively well. 
psychotic level of personality organization, though, here the characteristic is there's a break with reality. There's some type of psychosis. There's overgeneralized, bizarre, or overly concrete thinking. There can be this unshakable conviction that one's own assessment of others is correct. You can harden into that position regardless of what anybody else says or does. One might attribute one's own emotions and thoughts to others and assume they're thinking the exact same thing. That reality testing is compromised. And this can harden into delusions or hallucinations. Identity gets fragmented. There's identity diffusion, a lack of cohesiveness in the way I understand myself. And usually there's socially inappropriate behaviors. There can be really deep fear of annihilation. Annihilation in a physical way, in an emotional way, in a spiritual way, a fear of a loss of existence. These folks are really frightened. So that's the psychotic level of organization. And the borderline level of organization is in between that psychotic level and the neurotic level. And this is characterized by people who have difficulties with emotional regulation. They're vulnerable to extremes of overwhelming emotion, being flooded with emotions of different kinds, depression, anxiety, rage, shame. They have recurrent relational difficulties, chronic problems with emotional intimacy, problems with work, difficulties with impulse regulation. They might be prone to substance abuse, addictive behaviors. They may be at greater risk for intentional self-harm behaviors, especially when their primary relationships are not going well. This is the level in which most, quote, personality disorders, end quote, are diagnosed. This is a broad range, and you can be closer to the neurotic or closer to the psychotic side, but the the whole idea is that this can encompass all personality disorders. All personality disorders are characterized by these elements of being in this range between neurosis, where there's no personality disorder, and psychosis. What's happened, though, is that this range of functioning, including this sort of instability, this unpredictability, has taken on a life of its own. And it and a few theorists began to think of it as a discrete personality disorder on its own, borderline personality disorder. So we're now going to get into what does that look like? And here's a question from Susan to kind of lead us off on that. Hi, Dr. Peters. Susan here. Is there a distinct trait that you think distinguishes borderlines from, say, NPD or other mental illnesses? Thank you. Okay, so when Susan refers to NPD, she's referring to narcissistic personality disorder. And we spent six episodes on that, from episode 118 to episode 124, all on narcissistic personality disorder. But let's get into the markers and the characteristics and the symptoms that identify how the profession of psychology, the profession of psychiatry, how they understand borderline personality disorder. According to the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, Edition 5, borderline personality disorder is diagnosed on the basis of a pervasive pattern of instability of personal relationships, self-image, and affects, 
and marks impulsivity beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts. Okay, that's really the core of it. A pervasive pattern of instability in interpersonal relationships, self-image, and affects or emotions, and marked impulsivity beginning by early adulthood and present in a lot of different contexts, at least five of the following nine symptoms. And then we'll go through those symptoms in a minute. But that's the core of it, this pervasive pattern of instability. But this is one of my arguments about why borderline is not a personality disorder, because the DSM-5 defines personality as composed of enduring patterns of perceiving, relating to, and thinking about the environment and oneself. But the the definition is that those patterns don't exist, that they're unstable. So this is a self-refuting definition. This is one of my concerns about how we understand, quote, personality. I got into that in episode 116 in greater depth, but I just want to highlight it here. The consistent enduring pattern is one of inconsistency and instability. That's what is supposed to be consistent and stable about borderline personality disorder. This marked impulsivity, according to the DSM-5, you need at least five of nine symptoms. Number one, frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. Number two, a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by alternating between extremes of idealization and devaluation. The third, markedly and persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. Fourth, impulsivity in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging, such as spending, sex, substance abuse, reckless driving, binge eating. The fifth one, recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures, or threats, or self-mutilating behavior. Number six, affective instability due to a marked reactivity of mood. That could be dysphoria, irritability, anxiety. Number seven, chronic feelings of emptiness. Number eight, inappropriate, intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. For example, frequent displays of temper, constant anger or recurrent physical fights. And number nine, transient stress-related paranoid ideation or severe dissociative symptoms. So those are the nine symptoms that the DSM-5 gives us. You need five of them, right? So imagine, you know, the first person, the first person that gets diagnosed has number one through five, and the second one could have number five through nine, right? They could overlap with only one common symptom of market impulsivity, right? So this is why I go back to that idea that this is a trash can diagnosis, as Linnea Butler said. This this isn't something that's very coherent or consistent, right? Again, because what it grew out of was actually a whole level of personality organization, as I mentioned before. Now, another way to understand this, according to the DSM-5, is through their alternative criteria. And the DSM-5 says that typical features of borderline personality disorder are instability of self-image, personal goals, interpersonal relationships, and affects or emotions, accompanied by impulsivity, risk-taking, and or hostility. Characteristic difficulties are apparent in identity, self-direction, empathy, and or intimacy, as described below, along with specific maladaptive traits in the domain of negative affectivity, and also antagonism and or disinhibition. Right, so problems with identity, 
identity being markedly impoverished, poorly developed. There's this unstable self-image often associated with excessive self-criticism, chronic feelings of emptiness, and dissociative states under stress. Self-direction, just instability in goals, instability in aspirations, values, or career plans. Empathy, right? A compromised ability to recognize the feelings and needs of others associated with interpersonal hypersensitivity. You know, for example, the feeling slighted or feeling disregarded by others and perceptions of others that are selectively biased toward negative attributes or vulnerabilities. And then again, the difficulties with intimacy this intense, unstable, conflicted, close relationships marked by mistrust, neediness, anxious preoccupation with real or imagined abandonment. Close relationships are often viewed in extremes of idealization and devaluation and alternating between over-involvement and withdrawal. There's just this chronic interpersonal instability, this unpredictable, polarizing way of interacting with other people. And then four of the following seven pathological personality traits, emotional lability, that is unstable emotional experiences, mood swings, these frequent mood changes, anxiousness, this tension, even panic, the separation, insecurity, fears of rejection and separation from significant others. They fear their own excessive dependency. They fear the loss of autonomy. Depressivity, all right, the sense of being depressed, miserable, hopeless. Impulsivity, acting on the spur of the moment, being reactive to what's going on in the environment around you, acting on a momentary basis without plans or forethought, considering the possible outcomes or consequences, difficulty with following plans. And it could be driven by the sense of urgency. Risk-taking is another one. Uh, could be dangerous activities, risky activities. And then hostility, persistent or frequent angry feelings, anger or irritability in response to minor slights or insults. So that's the DSM take on it. They have, they have their main criteria. They have their alternative criteria. But I think a better diagnostic system, if you're going to look at borderline personality as a disorder or as a real thing is to take a look at the psychodynamic diagnostic manual, the second edition. In the second edition, the authors decided that they were going to recognize borderline personality disorder. They did this back in, I think it was like 2016. Again, they define personality in the PDM-2 as a relatively stable ways of thinking, feeling, behaving, and relating to others. And when they look at borderline personality disorder, they see the basic constitutional or maturational pattern as having these difficulties with affect regulation, that is emotional regulation, intensity of emotion, aggression, and a limited capacity to be soothed, right? These difficulties with emotional regulation, with intensity, there's not much modulation. There's these difficulties in tolerating and regulating the intense emotions. 
Emotions very readily ramp up. They spin out of control. There's a lot of interpersonal reactivity. Marsha Linehan said that, quote, people with BPD are like people with third-degree burns over 90% of their bodies. Lacking emotional skin, they feel agony at the slightest touch or movement. They often have a fairly high degree of aggressive drive. And as I mentioned before, that capacity to be soothed, that primary attachment need to be soothed, comforted, and reassured, they really struggle with that. Their central tension or preoccupation is twofold. One is self-cohesion versus fragmentation. They are in fear of falling apart, of emotionally the wheels coming off the wagon psychologically, things collapsing in. Self-cohesion, being able to hold it together is a constant issue for folks that are activated who have these dynamics. The second major tension or preoccupation is engulfing attachment versus abandonment or or despair. There's no good place for those with borderline dynamics to be in the relationship. They don't want the abandonment. They don't want the rejection. They don't want the alienation. But if they get close to somebody else, they fear that they're going to be engulfed by them, that they're going to be consumed by them, that others are going to take them over and control them. And Kimberly Roth, she said, quote, owing to a poorly defined sense of self, people with BPD rely on others for their feelings of worth and emotional caretaking. So fearful are they of feeling alone that they may act in desperate ways that quite frequently bring about the very abandonment and rejection they are trying to avoid. So what is the emotional experience of folks with these dynamics? We talked about them at the very beginning, at that lead-in, you heard some of those quotes, but they experience emotions very intensely, and their emotions vacillate, they cycle, they change very rapidly, they have mood swings, and they are highly emotionally conflicted about their unmet dependency needs. So we see rage, we see shame, we see fear, we see these abrupt outbursts of emotion that have great intensity, and that others don't expect. They can also feel guilty about asserting themselves, and I also think they struggle with despair. What about their thinking? Well, their thinking, their cognition, it is compromised because of the intensity of their emotions. They struggle with misperceptions of others that are driven by their fear of abandonment, that are driven by their fear of engulfment. Their cognitions, their thoughts can change very rapidly. They can hold multiple thoughts that are incompatible with each other at the same time that are contradictory, and they are very prone to misunderstand the attitudes, emotions, and behaviors of others, to interpret those attitudes, emotions, and behaviors of others to mean current or future rejection and abandonment. They often think that others think or feel the way that they do. That's in a nutshell, how individuals with these borderline dynamics think. Now, the characteristic pathogenic belief about the self, according to the PDM2, is, quote, I don't know who I am. I inhabit dissociated self-states rather than having a sense of continuity, end quote. 
I don't know who I am. This is such a central concept for those struggling with borderline dynamics. This diffusion of identity, this lack of self-cohesion, this internal fragmentation, I don't know who I am. And it's often driven by this deep sense that there's a void inside, an inner emptiness, feelings of deep uncertainty about the self. They lead to a lack of consistent identity. My identity can seem to change so much. And Gerald Kreisman and Hal Strauss said, Central to the borderline syndrome is the lack of a core sense of identity. When describing themselves, borderlines typically paint a confused or contradictory self-portrait in contrast to other patients who generally have a much clearer sense of who they are. To overcome their indistinct and mostly negative self-image, borderlines, like actors, are constantly searching for good roles, complete characters they can use to fill their identity void. So they often adapt like chameleons to the environment, to the situation, or to companions of the moment, much like the title character in Woody Allen's film, film Zelig, who literally assumes the personality, identity, and appearance of people around him. Moreover, folks that struggle with these borderline dynamics, they have a lack of self-awareness and a lack of consistent self-governance. They have difficulty managing themselves. They have difficulty managing the intensity of their internal experience. So often their integrity needs are not met. They are not accurately seen through the eyes of others. They are frequently misunderstood. What's the characteristic pathogenic belief about others that these folks have? Well, they believe that according to the PDM, quote, others are one-dimensional and defined by their effects on me rather than by a sense of their complex individual psychology, end quote. People with these dynamics tend to see others in orbit around them. They have this insecure attachment style. They have this separation anxiety. They need so much protection and reassurance and encouragement from others that they have difficulty understanding that others have their own internal experience. They have their own emotions, desires, attitudes, thoughts, and impulses. People with borderline dynamics have difficulty putting themselves in others' shoes And they tend to see others in black and white terms, this dichotomous and often rapidly changing ways. Theodore Malon, the great personality theorist, believes that people with borderline personality characteristics are, quote, interpersonally paradoxical, end quote. I really like that description, interpersonally paradoxical. On the one hand, they have great need for others' attention and affection, but they can be very contrary, even combative at times, very volatile. So on the one hand, you hear you have this tearful neediness, you have this contrition, you have this dependency, and on the other hand, you have this angry, vindictive approach to interpersonal relationships. And this pattern, being so inconsistent, being so paradoxical, being unpredictable, is likely to invite or even encourage others' rejection. Theodore Merlon said, Borderlines create the vicious cycles they fear the most. They become angry and drive the relationship to the breaking point, then switch to a posture of helplessness and contrition, beg for reconciliation. If both parties are equally enmeshed, chaos and conflict become the soul of the relationship. 
According to the PDM2, the central ways of defending, the central protective mechanisms, the coping strategies are splitting, projective identification, denial, dissociation, and acting out. Well, what is splitting? Splitting, according to the American Psychological Association Dictionary of Psychology, it says inclining analysis and Fairbairnian theory. You don't need to know about that. Splitting is a primitive defense mechanism used to protect oneself from conflict in which important others who provoke anxiety and ambivalence are dichotomized into extreme representations or part objects with either positive or negative qualities resulting in polarized viewpoints that fluctuate in extremes of seeing the self or others as either all good or all bad. All right, so let me break this down into a little more uh, easily understandable language. Splitting is, is making somebody either all good or all bad. They're either angels or devils, right? They are not, this is not an integrated understanding of a person. It is a split understanding of the person. The APA Dictionary of Psychology goes on to say that this splitting mechanism is used not only by infants and young children who are not yet capable of integrating these polarized viewpoints, but also by adults with dysfunctional patterns of dealing with ambivalence. It is often associated with the borderline personality disorder. When you split another person and you make them either all good or all bad, you wind up having to alternate between those two because it's not a complete representation of the other person. If you split, though, you can at least preserve the good dynamic. Sometimes what happens is that children are raised in environments in which if they integrated mommy or if they integrated their representation of daddy, mommy and daddy wouldn't be good enough. They wouldn't be good enough. So there, there, there's this attempt to hold on to the goodness by splitting off the badness. That can happen with splitting. And it's one of the ways that people with borderline dynamics cope with life. The second one is projective identification. And Ogden in 1982 said, in projective identification, not only does the patient view the therapist in a distorted way that is determined by the patient's past object relations, that's the patient's past relationships. In addition, pressure is exerted onto the therapist to experience himself in a way that is congruent with the patient's unconscious fantasy. All right, so this is a little more difficult to understand, but it is important, right? What happens in projective identification is that the, the person with the borderline dynamics projects onto the other person what he or she thinks that person is feeling, and then they engineer the social relationships, the interpersonal relationships, to induce that feeling in the person. Bertram Cohen calls this a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's to It reenacts the old dynamics, right? And according to Nancy McWilliams, for person A feels less crazy if person A can induce in person B the feelings and experiences that person A is convinced that person B already has. Person A feels less crazy if person A can induce, can create in person B the feelings and experiences that person A is convinced, assumes that person B already has. Projective identification is an unconscious process. 
You know, person A has no awareness that she's doing it. Projective identification can feel crazy making though in person B, leading person B to set very strong boundaries. It can evoke a very strong countertransference in therapists. Right, so splitting, projective identification, denial, this is a lot simpler. This is a defense mechanism in which unpleasant thoughts and feelings and wishes and events are ignored. They're excluded from conscious awareness. It can take such forms as refusal to acknowledge the reality of, of really unpleasant facts like a terminal illness or a divorce or the death of another person. That's denial. Dissociation, that's the defense me mechanism. That's the defense mechanism in which conflicting impulses are kept apart or threatening ideas and feelings are separated from the rest of the psyche. All right, acting out. That's basically enacting something. It's, it's, it's expressing unconscious emotional conflicts or feelings or desires without being aware of where that behavior is coming from. What are the impulses that are driving that behavior? Acting out. And then... Theodore Milan would add regression as a defense to the borderline dynamic. This is a return to a prior lower state of cognitive, emotional, or behavioral functioning. The term is associated particularly with psychoanalytic theory, and it's going back, it's regressing into an earlier pattern of coping, a younger pattern, a more immature pattern of coping. If you want to understand the internal experience of someone with these borderline dynamics, at the intrapsychic level, Theodore Milan says that there is a split organization. These folks are fragmented. They're split inside. They have inner structures that exist in a sharply segmented and conflictual configuration in which a marked lack of consistency and congruency is seen among the elements, right? Things don't hang together well inside. Their levels of consciousness often shift and result in rapid movements across boundaries that usually separate contrasting percepts, memories, and affects or emotions. And this leads to periodic schisms in what limited psychic order and cohesion may otherwise be present, resulting in transient stress-related psychotic episodes. So when these folks get really distressed, they start to look more psychotic. Remember, this is originally a term that described a range, a zone, the borderline. So that's the what of borderline personality. That's what it is described as in the major reference works in the profession of psychology, in the profession of psychiatry. All right, so let's address the why. Why is there borderline personality? And we've got a question from one of our RCC members about that. Let's go ahead and play that now. So how would you answer the question of whether borderline personality traits or disorder is something that is genetically inherited versus something that is maybe picked up or learned behavior? I'm curious. Okay, that is a great question. Genetic or is there is it a learned behavior? Well, 
The epidemiological studies indicate that there is definitely a potential genetic vulnerability. You tend to see up to five times more likely a diagnosis among first-degree biological relatives. So if you have a first-degree biological relative diagnosed diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, you're five times more likely to have it than in the general population. But there are other things as well. We tend to see the impact of early attachment issues, early attachment disorders resulting in borderline personality diagnoses, developmental arrests of various kinds, severe relational trauma. These are all according to the PDM2. That stuff is very, very common. The real reason why you get borderline personality disorder is because certain attachment needs have not been met, have not been met. And what are those attachment needs? Safety, recognition, reassurance, delight, love, and belonging, right? The first one, really, really critical. You will always see that individuals who meet diagnostic criteria for borderline personality disorder did not feel safe. They did not feel safe. They did not have that felt sense of safety and protection. They also did not feel recognized. They did not feel seen, heard, known, and understood. And here's another one that's really critical. They were not able to feel that sense of reassurance, the ability to feel comforted and soothed. Right? They also usually didn't feel delighted in, cherished, treasured for who they really were in their entirety. Love and belonging usually are also not met. They often had concerns about survival, to continue to exist. What do I have to do in order to continue to survive? They didn't have a sense of importance. They felt like they might not have been significant in the world, or at least that their emotions were not important to other people. And they often had a sense that their autonomy was really problematic. That tension between subjugation versus exercising their own agency. And so the, uh, the last one, the, the need for authentic expression, the need to share and communicate with others what is true and real within them rather than pretend otherwise is really problematic because what's true and real within them is often very off-putting to other people. It often offends them or it frustrates them. It gets them irritated. And so it's hard for them to be real with other people because they have the sense of being rejected. And so when we take a look at the why of borderline personality, I go back to those attachment needs. I go back to those integrity needs. We also want to recognize that there is potentially this genetic vulnerability. And so much of this is related to trauma. But let's talk a little bit about who, the who of this. Who has the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder? Well, the prevalence, according to the DSM-5, is about 1.6% to up as high as 5.9% of the population. About 10% of those who are receiving services in outpatient mental health clinics meet diagnostic criteria for borderline personality disorder. About 20% of psychiatric inpatients are eligible or meet the criteria for that diagnosis. And about 75% of them are female. 
Are there types of borderline personality disorder? Well, there's not a consensus on this. Theodore Milan's 1995 book, Personality Disorders of Personality, DSM-4 and Beyond, listed four types, the impulsive type, the discouraged type, the self-destructive type, and the petulant type. In the impulsive type, the core concern is behaving in impulsive and even dangerous ways to try to regulate overwhelming and intense emotion. And these folks come across as capricious, evasive, superficial, usually seductive in some ways. They can have very high euphoric moods at times, but that happiness may seem pressured. It may seem forced in some ways. They can have this hyperactivity or flightiness. They're easily bored. They're highly distractible, and they can seem irresponsible and short-sighted. That's the impulsive type, according to Theodore Milan. The discouraged type They feel helpless and they really feel the over-dependence on one or two other people. They have very limited relationships. They have a lot invested in those relationships. And so they become very submissive in relationships. They tend to lack initiative. They are easily dejected and discouraged. They give up easily. And they tend to lack identity outside of their relationships, according to Theodore Milan. The third type is the self-destructive type. These folks turn intense emotions against themselves. They hate those that they need for security and protection. This is, a, this is where that dynamic comes through so clearly. I love you. I need you. I hate you. I need to oppose you. Right? They have this veneer of sociability and conformity, but they fear really taking responsibility for their own autonomy, really digging in and leading their own lives. They have so much anger and hostility that's directed against themselves because they are the only ones that's safe to be angry at. They can only be angry at themselves and feel safe with that. They feel like frauds. They tend to deny awareness of their inner deficiencies though. And they can engage in suicidal behaviors and self-harm behaviors, cutting, burning, different types of eating disorders, all kinds of ways of being self-destructive. That's the self-destructive type. And then the fourth type that Theodora Milan describes describes is the petulant type. And this these are the ones that really have negative moods. You see the intensity and the chronicity. You see intense and chronic negative moods, depressed bitter, uh, complaining types of behaviors. These folks are stubborn, sullen, resentful. They're bitter. They can, they really resent their dependence on other people. They vent their anger. They take it back. They become very contrite. They turn their hostility inward for a while. They plead for forgiveness. They promise to behave better. They promise they'll do better. But as Milan says, these resolutions are short-lived And this is all driven by a deep sense of worthlessness. The research on whether there are subtypes of borderline personality disorder is very inconsistent. Frederico Reebok and his colleagues in a September 2014 article in Psychiatric Quarterly, they found that about 26% were affective borderlines, 37% were impulsive borderlines, 4% were aggressive borderlines, 29% were dependent borderlines and 5% were empty borderlines. They were using a different diagnostic classification or subclassification there. Well, 
what kind of characters in popular culture or in literature would meet the diagnostic criteria for borderline personality disorder? Now, most of these, I don't know. I'm not very good at pop culture, but I did search the internet to see who people say would represent BPD or borderline personality disorder fairly well. And so Clementine from the movie Eternal Sunshine from the Spotless Mind, that's one Elsa from Frozen, Anakin Skywalker, who became Darth Vader in Star Wars Episodes 2 and 3, Livia Soprano in The Sopranos, Bojack Horseman. I don't know who Bojack Horseman is, but everybody says that Bojack Horseman is borderline. Okay, so, okay. Wreck-It Ralph. Again, another reference, I don't know. And then what I do know is Hamlet, you know, that to be or not to be. And what type of people are those with prominent borderline features attracted to, romantically attracted to, right? Well, it's those who seem to be able to provide a sense of security and stability and safety. That's really primary. They are going to look to somebody that seems like he or she can provide the sense of security, stability, and safety. You know, they're attracted to people that seem confident and self-assured, who seem to be able to manage and resolve crises. These are idealizable partners because like those people with narcissistic dynamics, people with borderline dynamics also idealize and devalue, but they do it for different reasons. The folks that are doing it from a narcissistic perspective or from a narcissistic position are doing that to regulate their self-esteem. The folks that are doing this from a borderline perspective are much more concerned about attachment than integrity needs. Folks that validate those with borderline qualities are often very attractive, who affirm them, who provide them lots of attention, reassurance, and support, who provide structure, who engage in these codependent relationships with them, and who are highly intense emotionally, though that's often really attractive to somebody with borderline dynamics. All right, so how do we work with borderline qualities? Let's talk about the different types of therapeutic approaches that are available. The one that you're going to hear about most is probably dialectical behavioral therapy, or DBT. And this was specifically designed to treat borderline personality disorder by Marsha Linehan. And Marsha Linehan, interestingly enough, she struggled with borderline personality disorder and, and, and made it her professional mission, a personal mission and a professional mission to come up with a better way to address it. And dialectical behavioral therapy appreciates that the person with borderline dynamics is very vulnerable emotionally and that that person probably grew up in a home where emotions were not valued, where they weren't appreciated, where there wasn't attunement, emotions were usually dismissed. And so DBT focuses on validation and acceptance of your intense emotional experiences. Those are real. And it uses this dialectical approach where there's a dialogue, an internal dialogue of arguments and counterarguments. And that helps us to understand over time that things are not so black and white. This starts to challenge some assumptions. It also brings in this concept of mindfulness, of focusing attention inward on your immediate present internal experience. So DBT teaches skills to regulate intense emotions, 
to minimize self-destructive behaviors, to alleviate distress, to improve relationships. And the treatment usually includes individual therapy and skills training in a group setting, some phone coaching, and there's frequently homework that gets assigned. So that's DBT. There's also mental, mentalization-based treatment, that's MBT, and that was developed by Anthony Bateman and Peter Fonagy. And the focus is on mentalization. Well, what is mentalization? Mentalization, that's the ability to understand one's internal experience, the thoughts, the emotions, the assumptions, the beliefs, the impulses, the desires, the attitudes, everything going on inside the psyche. We want to be able to represent that, to be able to symbolize it, to be able to think about it. And we also want to be able to understand the internal experience of other people, their mental states. That's what Bateman and Fonagy are looking at with this mentalization-based treatment, or MBT. The focus in MBT is on the present. It's not on the past. It's on what's happening now. They're not seeking insights or connections from the past. So there's a pretty big psychoeducational component in MBT, and it involves questioning one's assumptions about others' mental states. The capacity to mentalize is impaired by attaching to other people too quickly and intensely and by emotional detachment or distancing. So this is really much more about more accurately understanding oneself that increased self-awareness and more accurately understanding the experience of other people, removing the distortions, removing the distortions from our understanding. A third approach to borderline personality disorder treatment is schema therapy, which was developed by Jeffrey Young. And the main idea here is that problems develop when basic childhood needs are not met. That leads to problematic ways of interacting with the world. And those problematic ways of interacting with the world become schemas, which are these automatic and spontaneous ways of experiencing, thinking, and behaving that form as the brain develops during childhood that continues through adolescence, these become deeply ingrained. So the focus of schema therapy is on early maladaptive schemas, these pervasive and self-defeating dysfunctional patterns of thoughts, emotions, desires, and beliefs that develop in childhood. These schemas are heavily influenced by a person's relational environment, by their relationships, by their experiences in relationship. And these schemas influence how people view themselves and how they view the world. Current events trigger these schemas, these old patterns, and then these schemas lead to dysfunctional thoughts and maladaptive behaviors in the present. Many schemas can be activated simultaneously in borderline presentations. Dr. Sherry Steins on December 1st, 2018 in her article, How to Treat Borderline Personality Disorder, a Schema Therapy Approach, listed five schemas as examples. The first one, abandonment. And this schema involves the sense that significant others will not be able to continue providing emotional support, connection, strength, or protection. Basically, you could sum sum this up as saying, I will be rejected and abandoned. That's a schema. That's a story. That's a narrative that gets played out. There's, There's a deeply ingrained assumption. Second schema that she offers, abuse. This is the expectation that that others will hurt, abuse, humiliate, cheat, lie, manipulate, or take advantage of me. The third, emotional deprivation, the expectation that one's desire for a normal degree of emotional support will not be adequately met by others. I will be deprived. I will starve emotionally. That's a schema. The fourth one she offers, 
defectiveness, the feeling that one is defective, bad, unwanted, inferior, invalid, to such a degree that one is unlovable to significant others. This is driven by a deep sense of fundamental inferiority and shame. And then the fifth schema that she says is subjugation. Excessive surrendering to others because one feels coerced. For instance, submitting in order to avoid anger, retaliation, or abandonment. I must subjugate myself. I must become really dependent. I must put myself under the command of another person in order to preserve the relationship. And she says, while schemas are deeply ingrained systems of belief that are activated when triggered, modes are the personification the person takes on as a self-defense mechanism. In essence, a mode is a self-protected, dissociated state of personality that comes to the rescue in order to protect the fragile psyche, the vulnerable child, from facing the deep pain associated with the triggered schema. In other words, these modes come up, and they're almost like parts of the self in IFS in a certain sense, but they come in to try to protect, to try to take care of, the vulnerable child part of the person. So that's a brief discussion of schema therapy. Then there's psychodynamic treatment, psychoanalytic treatment. And this is what I practiced for about 15 years in my career, early in my career. And here, the important focus is on the centrality of the working alliance, the bond that the person with borderline dynamics has with the therapist. It's really important to repair that bond when it gets damaged, this process of rupture and repair and the safe relationship with the therapist becomes very important and you work through the transferences. The therapist becomes a safe enough figure so that the client can project onto the to the therapist whatever is there to be projected and they can work through it, correct it, understand it more deeply together. Boundaries become very critical in this type of therapy, and the therapist has to be able to bear the brunt of the rage and the disappointment from the client about boundaries, about boundaries being maintained. The client really needs the therapist to be emotionally present, and I'm really drawing this from the PDM2 and from Nancy McWilliams. The therapist needs to expect that there's going to be emotional intensity, emotional, vol- volat- emotional volatility, and that the client is going to see the therapist in these very dichotomous, binary, and black and white ways. Charles Elliott and Laurel and Laura Smith said, quote, people with BPD also think differently than most people do. They tend to see situations and people in all or nothing black and white terms with very few shades of gray. As a result, they consider events to be either wonderful or awful people in their lives to be either angels or devils and their life status to be either elevated or hopeless. So as a therapist, so as a therapist, you have to be able to weather these sorts of experiences when you're working with folks that have these borderline dy- dynamics. And in psychodynamic therapy, you work on developing self-reflection and mentalization as well. So a fifth type of therapy is family therapy, and this helps family members of the borderline client to develop skills and capacities to better understand and support their loved one with borderline characteristics. This, though, also focuses on the needs of family members to help them understand their own internal and systemic obstacles to caring for their loved one with the borderline dynamics. So that can be really helpful. Medications. 
There's no clear evidence that there's significant benefits of medications for borderline personality disorder. Um, they can be used sometimes uh, to address comorbid or, or other diagnoses that happen to be present, but it's not a primary way of treating borderline personality disorder. I'm also going to bring up internal family systems. I'm going to get into that in great depth in episode 127. So I'm not going to get into it here, but I will say that there's a real focus in internal family systems on self-acceptance and on the appropriate love of oneself. All right, so just a word of encouragement here. Most people with borderline personality disorder do get better. A 2010 study by Zanarini and colleagues they followed 300 former inpatients that were hospitalized psychiatrically for BPD, for borderline personality disorder. They followed them for 10 years and interviewed them every two years to kind of see how they had been doing. They found that nearly seven of eight clients achieved symptom remission lasting at least four years and half no longer met the criteria for borderline personality disorder. So that's really good news, especially because sometimes there can be this sense that nobody ever gets better from personality disorders and especially borderline personality disorder. Let's talk about living with somebody that presents who presents with borderline characteristics. Let's first of all just acknowledge that it's difficult. Charles H. Elliott and Laura Smith they say family members of people with BPD suffer right along with their loved ones. Watching their loved ones cycle through periods of self-harm, suicide attempts, out-of-control emotions, risky behaviors, and substance abuse isn't easy. Parents, partners, and relatives often feel helpless. Friends often go from trying to help to walking away in frustration and anger. And so let's slow it down a minute and just take a couple questions that have come in about working with family members. Hi, Dr. Peter. Being in close relationship with someone with BPD characteristics, I find myself just wanting the holidays to come and go, wanting birthdays and other celebrations to just be over with. Many Sundays are barely endurable. So I'm curious how to remain mostly self-led in the face of repeated and expected emotional dysregulation and outbursts. I'm also curious, how can someone remain calm in the face of the crazy-making twisting of the truth when a person with BPD tendencies recalls events in a way that doesn't reflect what actually happened? Okay, this is a a deep topic, a big topic. We're going to talk about this a lot more when we get to episode 128. Dr. Jerry is going to come in. He's going to help us out, a family therapist, with how to address borderline dynamics in family members. This is also a kind of an individual question. My hope is that folks that struggle with this can get individualized guidance. I can't give clinical advice. I can't, can't provide any kind of clinical services, but what you're getting at is this 
sense of needing to be grounded, needing to be centered. You're absolutely on the right track. The person asking that question is absolutely on the right track. How do I have a deep sense of being grounded? How do I have a deep sense of peace? How do I have a deep sense of being okay so that the intensity of the borderline dynamics in another person in my family don't destabilize me, that I don't get involved in a kind of dysfunctional dance. And so there's a fair amount of self-care that needs to happen there. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But I also want to hear from Mary Ann. We'll go ahead and play that clip now. Hi, Dr. Peter. I've got some comments on borderline personality disorder. I think it's my, my daughter. Um, is it common for borderlines to externalize all the sources of their difficulties? In other words, blaming everyone else. And of course, I know that just hooks into all my shame exiles and all that. Um, another question is, is it possible for a borderline personality to have introspection? Is it common to have kind of a willful disregard for reality? And, and another one is, are we responsible for keeping the peace? by walking on eggshells. That's that's pretty much the way um, she really controls other people with her anger. And of course, you know, my fear of her failing plays into all that. So um, is high anxiety a result of borderline personality? And is anger a common protector trait? Once again, we fear her outbursts. Um, do we have to accept her reality versus objective reality just to keep the peace? Uh, control is a big issue here, I think. And is there a basic self-loathing with, or uh, in many of her exiles, perhaps, or somebody with a borderline personality? Is it perceived dangerous to her system to admit the shortcomings? And so for all this, um, the question is, is it is it possible to have a real relationship with somebody who can't face their own shortcomings if you can't be honest with them? So those are just a few of our uh, our family's thoughts um, for your upcoming podcast. You can use my name, Marianne. Thanks. Bye. Okay. So let's let's dive into this a little bit here. There's a lot here. Do folks with borderline dynamics externalize difficulties? Yes. Remember, they have a desperate need to be taken care of, to be dependent, for someone else to make it all right. They're going to look outside rather than inside in most ways and most most of the time because it's so threatening to come into contact with what's really inside. Do they blame others? Well, sometimes they blame others. Sometimes they blame themselves. It's very typical for them to blame others, especially if you have that more petulant kind of subtype of borderline dynamics. That's very common, but oftentimes there will be regret afterward. Marianne brought up this question of willful disregard for reality. So I don't think when reality is disregarded that it's willful, that it's intentional. I think there are perceptual distortions that come in. And Charles Elliott and Laura Smith say, For people with borderline personality disorder, self-images, feelings, and relationships constantly change before their eyes. Imagine an app that skews, distorts, deforms, bends, or curves images of people, situations, and emotions. This make-believe app changes the perceptions of those with BPD into tormented, ridiculous, crazy, or sinister pictures. Thus, 
thoughts and feelings become inappropriate, seemingly random, or exaggerated. As a result, it can be almost impossible for the person with BPD to distinguish illusion from reality. I think it's really easy to underestimate how difficult it is for those that struggle with borderline dynamics to really see things the way that other people do, to really distill out the authentic, immediate present from the past, to not layer on all sorts of interpretive lenses that go back through their histories, these schemas that, uh, that are addressed in schema therapy, for example. Marianne brings up the idea of keeping the peace by walking on eggshells. We'll talk a lot more about that in episode 128 with Dr. Jerry. This controlling of other people with her anger. Yeah, it can feel like that. Anger can be a protector for those that struggle with borderline dynamics. They can, and anger often guards against fear. Anger often guards against vulnerability. Self-loathing. Self-loathing, it can be a central dynamic. This is that shame. And I spent so much time talking about shame in episodes 37 to 49 of this podcast. I really recommend that people listen to those if you haven't already, because shame is such a central driver of so many different manifestations, what people will call personality disorders. And then the final question A real relationship. Can I have a real relationship with somebody with borderline dynamics? Well, it depends on what you mean by a real relationship. If what you mean by that is a mutual, reciprocal, gratifying meeting of the minds and hearts, probably not. Probably not in the short run. There's just too much going on inside, too much fragmentation, too much fear, too much intensity, too much chaos going on inside. And sometimes people get really angry at those who have borderline characteristics because they're not who they want them to be. They want something from them. They want to have a mutual reciprocal relationship. And that makes sense, especially if it's your spouse. Especially if it's your spouse, that makes sense to me. But part of loving other people, part of having real relationships with people is to accept them as they are. So if what you mean by a real relationship is, is this an opportunity to love that person in an ordered way? Yeah, then there's all kinds of possibilities for a real relationship. All right, so let's go on to kind of what the challenges are of living with somebody with borderline personality. And this is from Hope Gillette's article on Psych Central, Living with Someone with Borderline Personality, Challenges and Coping. She identifies eight possible challenges, intrusiveness, changes in values and interests, hazardous behaviors, accusations, hurtful sarcasm, poor emotional control, self-sabotage, and behavioral cycles. Well, how do we help? That question comes up a lot. And what Hope Gillette says is to learn, learn a lot more about borderline dynamics, about borderline dynamics, get that perspective. 
and really sort out what is yours and what is the other person's issues. She says, step away, take breaks from the relationship, set and keep the boundaries, do this in a way that's life-giving, do this in a way that's committed. She says, practice patience, understand that these fluctuations are temporary, and then to look after your own mental health. She says, avoid isolation, stay physically healthy, join a support group, get your own therapy, and have a life outside of the relationship with the person that has the borderline characteristics. Melinda Smith, she provides some communication tips in her article, Helping Someone with Borderline Personality Disorder. She says, listen actively, be sympathetic, focus on the emotions and not the words. Try to have the person feel heard, stay calm, talk about things other than borderline dynamics, and reassure the, the person with borderline characteristics about boundaries. Get that family agreement on boundaries and look at boundaries as a process, not a single event, bringing in boundaries gradually. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about family dynamics when there is a family member exhibiting borderline characteristics. That'll be on Wednesday evening, December 13th, 2023, from 7.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That's going to be episode 128. It's it's titled Relating Well with Family Members with Borderline Dynamics. I'm excited that Dr. Jerry and I will have this opportunity. 15 minutes or 20 minutes of conversation just between the two of us, and then we're going to open it up to our live audience. There's going to be a question and answer period about specifically these questions about how to manage relationships with those near us who have borderline presentations. You can go to our Interior Integration for Catholics landing page at soulsandhearts.com slash IIC and get the link, register. You'll get all the information for how to log on. We would love to have you. That episode is going to be released on December 17th. 2023. Also, I was just able to confirm, I'm really excited about this, psychologist, Catholic psychologist, Dr. Greg Bataro of the Catholic, of Catholic Psych Institute will be joining me live on Monday evening, November 13th. That's coming up from 7.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That'll be for the next episode of this podcast, episode 126. It's titled, Borderline Personalities, Your Questions Answered by Dr. Greg Bataro. You're welcome to join us. We'd love to have you. Again, register at our landing page, soulsandhearts.com slash IIC. Dr. Greg and I will discuss borderline presentations for about 20 minutes, and then we'll open the floor for your questions and answers. We'll do this live. You can join. You can remain anonymous if you wish. We don't publish any of the video ever, just the audio. And that episode will release to the public on November 20th, 2023. I'm really honored to have Dr. Greg with us. We're also exactly one month away from reopening the Resilient Catholics community to new members. This, those will be the ones in our St. Francis Xavier cohort. It's very exciting. We have 153 potential new members already on our interest list. We're actively gearing up. Now, the three pillars of the Resilient Catholics community, the RCC, are one, relationship, two, identity, and three, love. 
And here are the three overarching goals. The first one, tolerating being loved first, tolerating being loved by God, by others, and by your innermost self which means being known and being open to that vulnerability. We can see how difficult that is for those who struggle with borderline characteristics, right? So difficult to tolerate being loved because of that rawness, that that difficulty. We work with that kind of thing in the resilient Catholics community. It's not therapy, but we have ways of opening ourselves to that love in the program that we offer. Second major Overarching goal is embracing your identity as a beloved little son or daughter of God your father and Mary your mother, your primary parents. We have ways of inviting you into relationship with God the Father, Mary our mother. We do that by addressing the psychological, the human formation impediments We shore up that natural foundation to being able to accept that identity. And then the third overarching goal is to respond to God, to your neighbor, and to yourself by reflecting that love back, by responding in love to them. I'm going to invite you, enjoy, join that interest list now by heading over to our RCC landing page, scrolling down, filling out the form titled, join the December 2023 interest list. Then you're going to get our first email. You get that right away. Chock full of helpful information. On Friday, December 1st, 2023, from 8 o'clock p.m. to 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, join me and also join the RCC lead navigator, Marion Moreland. We're going to offer you a brief live presentation about the Resilient Catholics community, and we're going to spend most of that time answering your questions. We also have some veteran RCC members with us. They can answer questions. Go to our landing page for the RCC, which is soulsandhearts.com slash RCC to sign up, get details for that Zoom meeting. We will also put it up on that landing page after it's over so you can see the recording. The RCC is a year-long program of 44 weekly 90-minute meetings to help you connect with your parts in your system. So if you resonate with the experiential exercises in the IIC podcast, if you resonate with internal family systems, with parts, with systems thinking taken inside, with this idea of you loving you, if you really understand that you need to be able to love yourself in an ordered way, that that's not just an option the RCC may be right for you. The RCC is also a great adjunct to working with an IFS-informed therapist or a coach or a spiritual director. Remember that the RCC focuses on your human formation, shoring up the natural foundation for your spiritual life and relationships. And in this upcoming cohort, we're going to have some special all-men and all-women companies. These are our small groups of nine, just for priests, some just for seminarians, some just for spiritual directors, some just for therapists, and some just for religious. Get in touch with RCC lead navigator, Marion Moreland, at Marion, M-A-R-I-O-N, Marion at integratedhearts.com, or with me at crisis at soulsandhearts.com, or on my cell at 317-567-9594 with any questions. Remember, conversation hours are a great time to get a hold of me on my cell phone, 317-567-9594. Those are every Tuesday and Thursday from 4.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And remember, as always, I'm going to ask you to pray for us. Keep souls and hearts in your prayers. Keep me in your prayers. 
We pray for you. Prayer is the fuel that drives everything that we do. And with that, we will invoke our patroness and our patron, Our Lady, Our Mother, Untire of Knots. Pray for us. St. John the Baptist, pray for us. Pray for us.